Welcome to Politics Done Right. I am your host, Egberto Willis. This is a progressive program that will take the mystery out of politics. This is the program that will encourage you to make sure government becomes we the people. Whether you are liberal, progressive, conservative, or otherwise, you get to air your point of view. We are an independent media outlet that, unlike mainstream media beholden to corporations, we only owe allegiance to you. Remember, you can also send me a tweet at E-G-B-E-R-T-O-W-I-L-L-I-E-S. That is at Egberto Willis. Let us engage. It is politics done right. Welcome to Politics Done Right from the studios of KPFT 90.1 FM, Houston, your community radio station. We have a great program for you today. Today, I am honored to be in the presence once again with my good friend, my great supporter, my former coffee party partner, as in board of director partner, Tim Danahue, but most of all of the Tim Danahy show that we are trying like hell to get him to say, I will be back. Tim Danahy, how are you doing today, my brother? I, I am doing well. The only way I'm ever coming back is if we do the Egberto and Danahy show. And uh, because I hope that this show we're doing now really illustrates what I think we can spur in conversation. And uh uh, while we may be superficial on a number of topics today, uh, Egberto, talking with you creates a magic that uh, I'm sure your listeners appreciate. Well, look, it's, it's a pleasure being with you, my brother. Let me just tell you, um, tell the audience, um, we are going to be talking about several issues. We're going to be talking about abortion issue. We're going to be talking about Rick Scott's minimum tax. We're going to be talking about the filibuster, tuition forgiveness, homelessness, English as an official language, election reform, voter ID, electoral college. And we hope we get to all of these within this one hour. If we don't, you know, we are always happy to have Tim back again. But anyway, Tim, how are you doing today? First of all, my friend, I am doing well. And it's a it's a rainy uh, uh, Saturday here in eastern Pennsylvania. And um, it's just a delight to be talking with you. Well, look, great, man. Let me let me ask you, first of all, this abortion issue has just exploded. Um, my thoughts are, uh, believe you know, I, I hate to put it in political terms, but to me, it almost gives a, that, that in, a, in, a, in a perverse kind of a way, the abortion issue and the recent gun issue. And I, I, and folks, please don't think I'm being callous here, but we're having a discussion a political discussion. I feel the same pain as everybody does for what occurred in uh, in Texas and in uh, in uh, Buffalo. But I kind of think this is a wake up call. All these issues are wake up calls to the politics that we're going to have in November. Your thoughts on that? Well, they are. And these are important issues. And of course, Uvalde is um Critical. It's heartbreaking. Uh, I I saw some additional stories this morning about uh, some aspects of it that I, I uh, that I wanted to share with my wife, but I wanted to tell her. I asked her. I said, "It's bad. Do you want me to share this with you?" And um, it, it's a heartbreaking story. Um, but yet the follow up to the story 
I mean, we're all brokenhearted, but yet perhaps the insensitivity of many um, in order to perpetuate a political position um, is disturbing. And so while the discussion that we're having today, you know, um, I I flippantly offer it as uh, can progressives compromise on these issues. And as we go through the issues, certainly um, gun control or gun management can certainly be one of the issues if you wish. Um, so uh, ours, uh, you know, you're the pilot of this uh, plane, uh, Egberto, so uh, uh, fly us where you wish. Well, let me, let me, let, let's go ahead and tackle the abortion issue. Um, I, I want to first tell you my thoughts on abortion, and I'd I, I like to hear how it comes across to you, but or, or, or your, your thoughts per se. As it stands, I understand my own fallibility. I understand my own ignorance. I'll be honest. I don't know when life begins. I really don't. Uh, Whether an abortion is wrong or right, I don't know. The one thing that I do know is that I am a man. The the other thing that I know is I don't see how I can have agency over somebody else's body. Now, when somebody else produces something at that point, in my opinion, it is an independent being. But before that, I don't know. Uh, And in not knowing, I don't see how I can create laws. I don't see how I can tell a woman what to do. I'm interested to know if if you fall in that domain or or, or you think that, you know, you, you said you want to talk about compromise. Is there really compromise there or not? It's the not knowing, Egberto, that really opens the door to this discussion and allows us to explore this. And maybe there is. Um, I don't think anybody is pro-abortion. It's a nasty process. It's an unfortunate uh, process. Um, But but we do have to be cognizant of being pro-choice or pro-rights. And certainly we need to, to to. live in that domain. Um, but then, you know, I have this, this uh, sympathy for the fetus at some point, you know, and, and, and you touch upon it by saying you don't know when life begins. Of course, we can take that all the way back. You know, we can say, well, it begins at conception and many religious uh, uh, doctrines uh, believe that. Uh, a, a recent Oklahoma candidate uh, for governor, I believe, uh, just said it begins before conception. One can imagine that. He says it's all part of God's plan. I, I know. You know. How do you explain that, I wonder? Oh, oh the, what, the, the, can, the Oklahoma candidate? Uh, he just says it's God's master plan, and then if he has a plan for life, and conception just perpetuates his plan for life. Um, so be it. You know, the, the voters will decide. But at some point, um, you know, Mississippi, you know, we, we have a shock and outrage at their case going to the Supreme Court. But they said, let's uh, ban abortion after 15 weeks. Now, neither you nor I know when life begins, but that's four months. You know, the, the child is starting to take shape. Uh, the woman has many, many signs of being pregnant at that point. You know, it, 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 it's, it's not a mystery as it would be at two weeks. Um, at some point, should it kick in that 
um, that we really are creating a person, a, a, a marvelous process. And at some point, should we be acknowledging the beauty of this person and begin to protect it? Now, Colorado says you can get an abortion, I believe, almost up to term. And, and that is, um, again, if we think of the process, it's heartbreaking, you know. And so can we, as progressives, can we compromise? And we say, yeah, maybe at 15 weeks, pick the time, you know, conservatives and progressives. Let's, let's pick the time to assume some sort of responsibility in this decision-making process as the man should too. Uh, I've heard it proposed that child should support, child support should begin at, at conception. Yeah, yeah, it should. And for prenatal care or whatever is going to happen, you know, it, 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 we're in this together. But this is one of those issues, and you know, if we're well served by saying, uh, no abortion or pro-choice. As a corollary to that, Egberto, um, there was a, another yeah, Oklahoma that seems to be the the um, the nest of many um, um, additional thoughts, I guess. Um, but uh, one uh, female uh, legislator said, "If you want the rape and incest exemption." Then you will have needed to report the police, and and you think, well, you know, maybe there's a case there, you know, um, you know, if in fact rather than just claim it to to try and receive some sort of um, anti-abortion exemption, very thought-provoking issues, and uh, I'm wondering, can progressives compromise somewhere in there? You know what is interesting? Um, I, uh, my, my feeling is, um, I, yeah, we have to compromise, actually. I mean, it's, it's, I, don't, I don't think it's whether we can or not. I think ultimately to exist as a country, we have to compromise. But I, I tell you, believe it or not, for those people who really want control, I find that those who say uh, abortion, uh, irrespective, or rather, if those who think abortion is wrong, right, and they, they are not only saying that, but they're saying irrespective of whether it is rape or incest, et cetera, in a sort of perverse way, they are the most honest ones, right? Because they're saying that they believe that that which is within a woman's body is a life. And if that is a life and we have exceptions, uh, you, you, the, the word would actually be, uh, well, if, 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 under these conditions, we are going to allow you to kill if that is what you believe. Right. And so I have a tendency to be to be give the woman the right to do as she pleases or, or else. Again, uh, if you have these exceptions, you're not really being uh, you're not really being honest with what you're calling a life. You're saying we can we, we offer to kill under these particular conditions. And it, it, it is a sort of fight that I have within my head, which for in my case, it's like I would like I would advise my daughter against an abortion. I would ask my daughter to be responsible. I would ask my daughter that if she's going to have a kid to know that she has a family that can that will be there to back her no matter what. 
but I just feel that there's a, there's something about me imposing my family values onto somebody else. And, um, and, and ultimately, it is your daughter's decision. Uh, but exactly. we would ask that her decision be made uh, um, judiciously and as quickly as possible. I agree. Um, it, I, I would hate I to think it at the eight months or something. And so really at this point, Egberto, uh, you know, I, I would look forward to listener input on this. But at this point, I think everybody thinks abortion is bad. Most, most people think it's choice and she has that right. I'm wondering, can a time period be established in there? Um, and so... Um, I hope so. This, this maybe to extend that olive branch discussion, maybe we can come up with something just. I agree. Uh, Tim, it's look, um, uh, that was a great piece on abortion. I'd love to hear what our audience have to say about that. Please put it in the chat. Let us see what you, your thoughts about what both Tim and I are talking about. Rick Scott's minimum tax. Rick Scott's minimum tax. I found that fascinating especially coming from a republic well yeah i mean he, he's proposing an increase in taxes on um i, I believe the number is like 50 percent of all americans and uh, uh it was immediately shot down and everything um and, and you know anything from rick scott to be examined under a microscope but um the thought uh, the thought of everyone paying a little bit of tax, even if you make $5,000 a year and you pay $5, you know, it's not an abhorrent idea. And I know they're saying that it's uh, regressive and will hurt poor people in, in, in some manners. If we tax poor people at 50%, yes, it will hurt um, and would not be fair and not just. Um, but there's a symbolism here that may be valid. Um, however, that validity um, depends on an examination of all the taxes, income taxes. You know, you can't have 5% at the bottom, and I think billionaires pay an effective rate of 3%. And as you know, Egberto, the... Um, Lower income people pay a greater percentage of their of their income in taxes, overall taxes, than the wealthy do. So perhaps there should be some sort of um, wealth averaging in there. So maybe it would be to have uh, lower income people pay one percent, make up a number. The percentages are not important, uh, Egbert. It's the principle. Uh, but then does that, on average, across the United States, create an overall tax burden on poor people? Make up a number again, 20%. Okay, then perhaps we should have a corresponding overall tax burden for the wealthy of 20%. Play with the numbers however you wish. But Rick Scott's minimum tax, well causing shock and awe amongst many people, uh, especially pro progressives. There's a principle there. 
that perhaps would be valid. And I would love to hear your thought on that. Let me put it this way. Um, The reason why for me, Rick Scott tax is obscene, right? Is what it doesn't take into account is the reason why uh, people don't pay income taxes, right? And that reason is that they make so little. Um, I, I rather look at it from the perspective that everybody is paying taxes right now. If you go and buy gas, if you buy, if yeah, there are sales taxes, there are federal gas taxes, there are all these other taxes that they're they're, they're paying. My problem is it's interesting, right? Because why do we pay taxes? on a percentage of our income as opposed to something else. And it's, that's above my pay grade. I don't, I don't posit that I know all these answers because I don't, but here's my thing for those people who study percentages, et cetera, right? What happens is if you're a billionaire and even if you're paying the same percentage as that poor person, or even a larger percentage, the mere fact that you're a billionaire and this person is way down here, means that there is never a time that the tax system can be used to correct what I call the aberration of capitalism, which is it is biased towards those who have capital. And as such, those without capital or those with a small amount of capital in their lifetime could never really attain unless invited that that level, that level. So I think they make a straw person out of those people who just don't make enough to pay taxes, as opposed to look at the other structural problems we have in our economic system. So that is my, that is my concern with it. It's almost like the wrong argument or the wrong discussion, if you will. Yeah, I, I agree in a, in a sense of uh, the accumulation of wealth. Um, it is horrific. If a person making $10,000 a year and they're taxed at 5%, they're paying $500 and they have 9500 that accumulates conceivably. Um, but the billionaire who pays 5% pays $50 million and has $950 million accumulating. You know, and so it boggles the mind. So income, let alone whether capital or labor, they should, they should be valued the same. Um, but, but income tax, a woefully inadequate measure of economic justice. There needs to be a wealth tax involved. Um, and the Federalist Papers, uh, and, and, uh, you know, they acknowledge that we need to have an inheritance tax, lest we create a royal uh, class that 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 create that we hand down wealth uh, within the family, and uh, that wealth accumulates. And uh, so, of course, everything needs to be placed on the table. Tax system right now is is a tremendous injustice in America. The alternative, there's an alternative, used to be an alternative minimum tax for the wealthy. And I think that that has been put by the wayside. Um, But maybe we bring that back. 
judiciously, I think it might be okay for even the poorest person to pay a token amount. You know, everybody pays in. And, uh, but, uh, but I understand the, the purpose of, um, I understand the purpose of this and what makes a person poor, minimum wage, whatever it is. It is complicated. And, um, and we, we could probably have 10 discussions on that aspect of it, but everybody paying at least a little bit that, that, that causes pause to reflect. And I'm not appalled by it. Uh, but there's a lot of caveats on that. I, I feel I feel exactly what you're saying, and I know you're not appalled by it because there's this thing within um, within all of us that say let every single person have a skin have some skin in the game. I think is one of the words that you were probably looking for earlier on. Have skin in the game. Have skin in uh, in paying income tax. The thing about it, though, for me is uh, it's not it's not skin in the in the tax game. But it is skin in the, the the totality of the economy, and that is where that is why I actually believe. And we don't we, we we are not talking about this particular subject, but I think it's sort of germane to what to 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 the tax situation, and that is why I believe in 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 uh, in things like um, redistribution. Or, or things like uh, the, the give backs that we have right now in the child, child tax credit and these other options. The reason why is that we are all, all of us that are working, anybody that's successfully working in this economy, they're making America better. If you're a McDonald's employee, a place where you make so little money that many times you are on welfare, meaning you and I support somebody who cannot make it on, on, on um, at McDonald's, uh, even though they're putting in an eight-hour work week, and I don't know about you, but I love McDonald's, you know. And uh, 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 I may offer Walmart as an example, because, <laughs> uh, because of the urban renewal credits, yes. because, and because of the low pay they offer people, and their people are on uh, 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 welfare and subsidized incomes and so forth. Um, they are really one of the biggest uh, tax grifters in, right. in the United States. So McDonald's, uh, you know. Let, let's let's get it where it really hits, and that's Walmart. Exactly. Whoops. Perfect. Uh, that that's a perfect example, actually. And so what I'm saying is, I think uh, Rick Scott brought the argument. Rick Scott brought the argument. Let everybody have skin in the game is what Rick Scott is saying, and that has a good feeling to of responsibility, right? But I think uh, what everybody has skin in the game in is is that they work. They work productively in society. And for me, it's sort of like uh, if you work productively in society, you should have the right to live at least a minimal life, which many people don't uh, right now. And as such, I think our tax system should be used to sort of ensuring that the economic system can be as draconian as, as, it, as it is but that our tax system be used to move monies around to ensure that everybody has a good standard of living. That's my thoughts. Well, uh, Egberto, in all honesty, if I were to uh, uh, design a tax I would probably start with the premise that the first $80,000 of income is tax-free based on our rights to pursue life, liberty, and pursuit of Here happiness. Here you go. And could then, compromise there. Then we start kicking in some high percentages. Right. Um, 
I don't think that has uh, uh, much of a chance, but that mm-hmm. honestly, that is where I would start and, uh, and go from there. Well, I mean, I, I think that's a good start. I mean, the, the idea being that, um, you know, I mean, a lot of people, you know, we, we've gotten a lot of people trying to talk. I, I tell you what, uh, uh, and, uh, and then we can go to the next subject, Tim. I don't, I, what I don't understand with the super, super wealthy, right? Is what, what is it or what do they really want with that, all the money that they've attained? And by the way, I don't think anybody has attained their wealth solely from their work. Let me give an example. You are, you are somebody that I have a whole lot of respect for. You formed your company. You go out there with your, your guys and you get things done. And you're actually a part of the, you're what's called an active investor in your own company. However, uh, most of the wealthy, they're not active investors in what, what's been accomplished. They have capital and they can go ahead and say, I want to do X, Y, and Z. And the others of our peons, I have, a, I have a term for it. I don't know if you're going to like it. I call it antiseptic slavery because, again, they just sit back there and everybody does work. And when they say my money is working for me, what they really mean is somebody else is making money and they are taking a piece of it. Unlike, again, all of us are, are, are guilty to some extent when we collect interest or a little bit of stock appreciation. But those guys do it to the max. Now, um, I want a system where we can, we don't stifle innovation. In other words, I don't think, Tim, for the work that you do, I don't think there's any, anything right now that is stifling your ability to do what you're doing. But I think under the current system, right, it is not you who benefit your status quo, but there are those guys who are out there, the ones that are complaining the most, that I, you know, I just call it cancer to our society. I once, uh, and I'll close this so we can go on to another topic, but I, I once inter- uh, interviewed a professor, Pitts, I believe, from Washington University in St. Louis, uh, uh, a psychologist who examined this, but making money um, it is not that different from a drug addiction, all consuming that, that destroys um Many perspectives. Our fix didn't necessarily work because you kind of faded out again. But we, we'll we'll uh, you, there was enough said there that we got through just fine. But next subject is the filibuster, and I, uh, I before well let me let me go ahead and say because by the way, folks, these list of topics came directly from uh, brother Tim here because uh, you know I, when we talk, we always like to discuss things within our body politics. And I said, hey, please, let's have those topics from you, Tim, because it's been a long time since we've had this type of discussion. Filibuster. Um, I think the filibuster is the most undemocratic thing, especially in a time where we have the internet that everybody can know everything on a dime. I think it is, it is being used where uh, less than 40% of the population can control the entire discourse can control the entirety of what we accomplish in this country. And I think it has to be, I think it needs to go altogether. I would be surprised to hear what your thoughts are. (laughs) Um, I don't want to sound like Alito, you know, talking about original intent or anything like that, you know, but uh, I do want to take a moment and take a look at the intent. Um, First of all, let me say, I agree with you. 
as it occurs right now, it's horribly abused, it's politicized, and it's it's awful, undemocratic, uh, unfair. Um, It's wrong in every sense of of the word uh, at this point. If we take a look at the intent, you know, we've, we've always worked with majority rule, minority rights. You know, a respect, and I lost your voice. I hope you have mine. Tim, 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 I think, you know, I mean, you just create, you just mentioned a very important concept that very few people understand. The rights as being preventing the tyranny of the majority. Why don't you explain that a little bit before you get into that discourse? Well, what it is, is um, if everything was straight majority rule, um, we can be ruled by hysteria. We can be uh, ruled by group polarization. We can be ruled by confirmational biases where people all of a sudden rush into this and no one gets the opportunity to say, time out. Let's think about this a minute voice be heard. We could steamroll legislation without consideration for the minority. And that is kind of what the filibuster is there for. Its intent was to buy time to rally the people to see if we could effectively change the discourse and the votes. And so, but right now, just about any senator and Truthfully, it's mostly Mitch McConnell to say, no, I don't even want to vote on it. And there's no discussion about why he doesn't want to vote on it, which is horribly unjust. But maybe we should have an old time filibuster. Mr. Smith goes to Washington to a degree, okay, where we say, um, you've got 96 hours and you got to be on the floor and you got to present in this 96 hours. Children's books, you know, go 96 hours and try and rally your base. Use the social media, use whatever you want to try and get your 40%, 51%. After that, we're going to take a vote. I, I think while we need to have majority rule, I think we need to use the filibuster as a timeout just to say before we rush into this vote. People need to hear this. And I, I think that that would be an effective and fair use of the filibuster rather than just say, let's ban it. The thing about it, though, then in that regards, right, and I think this is why a lot of these politicians uh, don't don't see it that way, is that they use the filibuster to permanently ban, ban something. And what that does is it means that you truly have minority rule. Now, I think it's important for most Americans to understand, because a lot don't really know that, that the filibuster is not a constitutional construct. Mm-hmm. The filibuster is just a set of rules they decided to create in the Senate. And the other thing that I that I want to mention is that the difference between uh, comparing, let's say, the rights that we have, the 10, the Bill of Rights, which ensures that, you know, no matter who you are, whatever you are, the majority cannot take away the, the, the freedom of press. The majority cannot take away your citizenship. The majority cannot. I mean, these are rights, things that irrespective of what the majority wants applies to you and enable right. 
Uh, the filibuster is a bit different, right? In in that it it is, and I like what you said. It it is supposed to give you a time out just to let you rethink things. But if the things that you have to rethink isn't something that's an inalienable right, I think the vote must go on because again, if it's a it, you know, I think it, it should go on. It must. It must because you know the filibuster not only is unconstitutional, it's undemocratic. You know, it, it violates every principle that we have a, as a final determinant of legislation. However, right. it is to say time out of the People need to know. I, I lost your entire phrase. Uh, you went silent. Uh, uh, okay, I'm, I'm just saying um, it, it, it's... Um, it's just something that we need to have as 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 a, as a timeout. You know, it, it just it, it's a, it's a wise thing to have for ninety six hours, four days, so so it can get out there, hit the media, hit the social uh, uh, media, um, and then yes. let people talk to their legislator and, and take over the airwaves. It, it's not that bad, but as a legislative determinant who we vote on and what don't we it's bad absolutely well i i think we're pretty much in agreement there i i think we hope the the guys listen to us next subject though and i don't know i don't know how we're you know how we're gonna hit this one here but student forgiveness um tuition forgiveness rather tuition forgiveness i'm gonna tell you i when i went to college i came here i had to pay a whole lot of money for college, more so than the Americans, because at the time that I got here, I was a foreign student. Eventually, I got a residency, and which allowed me to get in-state tuition, which was a lot better. But still, I had to take out some student loans while I was going to college, and um, I paid my my student loans off completely on my own. But I tell you what, um, when I watched my daughter, who has much bigger bills than I had, even when adjusted for inflation, what I see is a system that constantly asks the students to pay more. Now, I want before before I come back, I want to say that I think that students are actually a sort of subsidy for if you're not going to work for yourself, like let's say you and my and me, we work for ourselves. But if you're going to work for a corporation. I actually think that student, uh, that, that, that college is a subsidy to corporations because what we have is somebody gets an education and goes to work prepared. That corporation supposedly doesn't have to spend all their money preparing that person. Now, that said, uh, Tim, interestingly, what it means then is that we have been cutting corporations' responsibility towards taxes at really helps, uh, you know, helps build colleges, universities, and tuition, I think is a problem. And I think by now, we need to have some sort of a reset. Tuition forgiveness, it's above my pay grade to understand how it should be done. I leave that up to you. Well, let's talk about a couple of things. Uh, first of all, uh, the value of a college education. And, uh, Egberto, I'd, I'd be curious to know if you share uh, my belief on this. I believe uh, I got my associates at community college. I got a bachelor's at a state university and I got my master's at a private school. 
Okay. I believe I learned more in community college than I did going for my master's. You know, I learned to call BS. I learned about social issues. It broadened and opened my mind tremendously. The rest of it was just majors and details. You know, college majors and and uh, so I, I want to. I am sorry, Tim. You said the rest of it was what again? Um, the, the rest of it was just details. Right. In the, in the sense of whatever the major was that I was going to go. But the first two years are expansive and they're valuable. And, and truthfully, I believe community colleges should be. And I would not give loan forgiveness on the first two years of college. Let me let me first say I agree with you that I, you know, I mean, a lot of college is, is detail. Uh, unfortunately, it's what a lot of corporations want to see. Now, let me just give an, a, a, a perfect example. My degree, mechanical engineering, my original job that made me most of my money, programming computers. Where did I learn to program computers? On my own. And I say, in other words, I, all the college that I've gotten, I can tell you that I could have uh, learned everything there was about computer programming and had all the jobs that I had for corporations. Now, college was the college a waste of time. Absolutely not. I think I learned a whole lot of techniques and so forth that that college was good for. But I think it, it, it proves your point that that it's a lot more complex as far as where, what's really beneficial to you to be a successful human being in whatever profession you choose. So I'm with you there. Yeah. And, and should we give 10,000 forgiveness to the person who goes to Yale, a private school or something? Probably not. You know, I, you know, I should not have had, I, I, I mean, I paid my own way, but you know, I, I would never ask for loan forgiveness when I went to a private school. Um, you know, it, it, it just shouldn't be that way. However, um, there's a couple things uh, that, that, that factor into this. Uh, this country has a doctor shortage. We do not have an increased number of doctors, despite our population increasing 30% over the last 40 years. And maybe we should give a loan forgiveness for anybody going to become a doctor. Uh, we, are, we have to face the fact we have a 2 or $3 trillion uh, uh, infrastructure uh, requirement coming up and maybe we should be offering bigger discounts for people going into engineers. Maybe there needs to be a, 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 a value to certain uh, tuitions, which also I might offer. And I'm, I'm kind of wandering here a little bit, and I apologize for that, but um, should we be offering loan forgiveness for uh, Greek archeology span the same degree as we do for a family practitioner for which we are in a dire shortage. In fact, we're short on family practitioners because it doesn't pay as well as the specialists. And the specialists can afford to pay their tuition quicker. So they choose uh, uh, doctoral graduates pick specialties. Um, so um, should colleges then, we put, take the burden back to them, should they be charging the same for freshman year, sophomore year, junior year, or should they be saying our Greek archaeology? And, and I value Greek archaeology, believe it or not. There's a, there's a lot we need to learn, uh, a lot of things we don't know. But should we value that? Should the tuition for Greek archaeology be the same as a pre-med? Probably not. And, and But yet colleges need to move forward on this too. 
I have actually changed my mind on this. Uh, I would love, look, in my very uh, leftist way of being and wanting to give people as much, given that society is so unfair in for those who, uh, for the very small amount of wealth that's really made it, a lot of times I want to say, yes, sack it to them, take that and, and pay off all tuitions. And even though I paid my own, I don't really mind that. But I think listening to folks like yourself and others, I think it has to be more. It, it, it is it, it is best if done in more of a measured way. So in that regards, I have actually tempered my beliefs on whether to just go ahead and wholeheartedly you know, pay everything or try to be a bit more selective, maybe a baseline with some selectivity in how we we do it. So, yeah, I think enough folks have spoken to me both online and off channel to tell me maybe I need to modify how I believe in uh, tuition forgiveness. And by the way, you're one of them, too. Well, thank you. Uh, well, uh, it, but definitely community college, uh, you know, you get the same. I believe you would get the same education uh, at the first two years of community college, by and large, as you would at the first two years of uh, 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 an Ivy League school. You know, it, it's the same type of courses. And incidentally, uh, I should mention to you for just a little anecdote, sort of related, kind of not related. Um, I was once on a project. And I was talking to a billionaire. And, you know, he was surprised. I had my uh, master's degree. I'm sorry, the sound? I cannot hear you, Egberto. I was talking to a billionaire, so, and then I missed oh, out. I was, uh, I was talking to a billionaire on one of my projects, a guy who make, makes a lot of his money from uh, solar windmills or windmills out in the ocean. And, um, you know, I said, I have my MBA from University of Denver, and I'm very proud of it because uh, my understanding is the University of Denver is ranked second in the world for teaching business ethics. And I said, it's marvelous. And he goes, well, he got his email. And I told him, oh, I'm sorry. And he, and he laughed too. Well, you told the guy you, you're sorry he came from Yale. <laughs> yeah, well, you know that's the school of Jared Kushner. I believe Mark Zuckerberg, you know George uh, W. Bush, you know, and and the list, you know, and you're just thinking. Uh, um, I believe Paul Manafort. I mean, we could put together a, a hall of shame uh, for uh, you know um, many of the Yale. So anyway, it was a little bit of a joke on this thing, and I don't mean to distract, but uh, the billionaire took it in, in stride, and he understood. And you want to know something? The way he looked at me made me think, you know, he, he was very uh, magnanimous and uh, uh, contributed a lot of money to many things. Uh, the way he looked at me, he says, like, should they be teaching business ethics at Yale? Who knows? Maybe someday he'll do something. But... Um, Nonetheless, community college for everybody is good. Uh, writing off the, the student loans for someone who goes to Yale, I, I'm not as excited. I am with you there, man. Okay, let's go ahead. We, this is an interesting subject to talk about, and that is homelessness, right? I, I, t I tell you something. I, I'm going to tell you, I'm, I'm going to tie homelessness which you want to talk about with a couple of with, with, with another subject at hand. I'm going to tie it into gentrification. 
and I'm going to also tie it into uh, corporations that are going around the country buying up stressed properties and in the process of buying up stressed properties, not reselling them into the market, but renting them as a, as a new form of capital appreciation and ca- not capital appreciation, but bringing in uh, income on you know, capital that was attained on the cheap. I think homelessness is something we all we all agree that it's bad. But I also think that there is there are some defects within our economic system that allows that to flourish. We can look at Atlanta. We can look at New York. We can look at San Francisco. We can look at all these other places where uh, we have allowed these corporations to do certain things within the markets that give a false appreciation, which then leads to homelessness. And I'll be curious to see your thoughts on homelessness in general and how gentrification and these other issues have actually mitigated it. Well, it's kind of interesting how the conversation uh, appears to wander, but it doesn't. You know, we talk about Jared Kushner and Yale, and sure enough, he's one of the ones that buy up a lot of low-income properties. I believe Baltimore is one of his current hotspots, and then he raises the rents and the income and he mix people and so forth. So um, who'd ever think that there would be a segue um, for this? But um, I am uh, frighteningly draconian about homelessness. Uh, Tennessee just passed a law that you're not allowed to camp on uh, public property. And I get it. I do. I get it. Um, and I just think if if some uh, and you bless your heart, Egberto, you got to let me take this one uh, uh, to the, to the end of the paragraph. And, and I lost your volume there, but go for uh, it. Yeah, to the end of the end of the paragraph. But um, I think people that are camping on public property um, need to be taken to facilities. They need to be given housing, temporary housing where they can do an evaluation. Is this a uh, mental health issue? Many of them are. And I would like to offer mental health counseling. Is it a trade and unemployment issue? If it is, I would like to offer them training, assistance seeking jobs. You know, um, is it a coming out of prison thing? Uh, I've talked with people that have come out of prison and they get $20 and they're dropped off at the bus station. If that's what it is, I want to offer assistance. Uh, is it a drug issue? If it is, I would like to take them to that temporary housing and offer them drug rehabilitation. Um, I, 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 there are more. There are four right there. There are more. But I don't think they have the right to be on the street. Downtown Denver now, for all the glamour and glitz, is uninhabitable due to syringes, homelessness, uh, feces on the street. Um, and my, I, I suppose that it's similar in other major cities. This cannot occur, but we need to, we need to take the homeless people off the streets and we need to help them. And, and that's kind of where I'm at. Well, I, I mean, you are where everybody needs to be. You are not asking, you, you are not saying, I want you off the streets, but I don't care what happens to you. You are saying, let's make the streets pleasurable for everybody and those people who need help. Let's give them help. That is a lot more humane or that is that that is the humane solution as opposed to what you see in a lot of these cities where they just throw these guys out and move, you know, try to get them or hose them away or 
or, you know, I mean, so I, I think what you're saying is exactly what the kind of things that we should do. But let me tell you, uh, brother Danahy, we have been we are pretty much out of time. So what I want to ask you is this. There are three more subjects that we want to talk about, and that is English as an official language, election reform and electoral college. So here's what I'm going to ask you, because we only have about three minutes or so left. I'd love for you to tell me uh, your thoughts on English as an official language in a few sentences. Um, I think it should be. Okay, and I know that we, we try to be um, polyglot as, as a nation, but I think we should. And I, I once told you that, uh, uh, and I think you reacted with some surprise, but there, there's 200 languages, and I cannot learn them all. But I want to learn what the thoughts are of 200 different sets of people. I want to hear their thoughts. We need to have a universal language and English, I believe, would be the most uh, proper. And I think we need to offer uh, uh, English uh, um, education for anyone requesting it. I, I believe it's essential. And then we can begin the understanding of understanding the Haman from Laos or or um, uh, uh, Farsi. So we can understand the uh, uh, Persian expatriates or whatever. But we need everyone to speak English so we can share our thoughts. You know, I've been I've been going back and forth with that one. And I think I'm coming around that we should all in this country have two languages, English as a common language and some other language. I am a bilingual person. I speak English and Spanish and understand a little bit of Portuguese. But the thing about it is, I think it is so important that, uh, yes, now I'm seeing that not knowing English can actually be uh, can deprive others, you know, deprive folks of success within the country itself. So I, 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 I am coming around to saying not just English as an official language, but English, but our curriculum must include another language as well. Yeah, pick a language. I agree. I had to take yeah. Spanish in, in school. My son had to take French, whatever. Yeah, so Here it, you go. Next subject, election reform. Thoughts? Uh, I, I don't really have a problem with voter ID. But once again, I think we need to encourage people to get either a driver's license or a state ID. Um, and, if, and if we could negotiate on that and say, OK, OK, conservatives, we'll do voter ID, but you need to improve access to voting. You know, I, I think we could find a common ground there. And I think voter ID would be something that uh, uh, progressives could. Um, use as a chip for other uh, issues involved with access to votes? I think everybody needs to be identified. So I don't really have a problem with voter ID. I think a lot of problems with people like myself who have issues with when we talk about voter ID is that in Texas, you can't use uh, a, a state issued university card as a voter ID, but you can use a rifle, I mean, you can use a gun permit. Yeah. That is where the, the differences are, I think. Now on electoral college is in last subject. I completely want the electoral college gone. I think it's one of the most undemocratic things that we have right now. California gets two senators, which is meaning two votes in the electoral college based on the Senate portion. Uh, while uh, North Dakota gets two as well, their populations are, I think it's not. I think it's one of these states. 
California is 40 times the population and they have the same weighted amount based on the Senate. I think that is undemocratic. And I don't think we can preach democracy around the world as long as that stands. Your thoughts? Uh, I understand. Um, the Electoral College was kind of a uh, constitutional compromise. And it was introduced because uh, less populous states wanted to be heard. And it becomes kind of a minority issue again. Um, but yet it has gone to the extreme where do you want New York, Los Angeles and Chicago deciding the elections of, of the country? Or do we want to make sure that places like Wyoming has a voice? Perhaps. Um, um, uh, I, I get the majority rule and absolute democratization of electing a national official president. Uh, but I understand the need for Wyoming to have a, a small voice in all of this. Um, you know, um, I, I just want to say I can argue this both ways. Um, you know, I do understand. But once again, I think we we need to see if this is a point of, of discussion or compromise. I don't think this is an absolute issue. Um, our Tim Danahy, my brother, I, I can, we can have conversations for hours as we've had before. I mean, we've, we've stayed in Colorado before and sat down with a cup of coffee and spoke hour after hour after hour at our meetings. Um, look, we're going to, we're going to do this again. And uh, hopefully we'll do it uh, pretty soon as a new program. I can't wait for us to get that done because I tell you, there are a myriad of subjects that we, I think we can discuss this with, as most of the people can see right now. You and I don't see eye to eye on everything. I mean, both of us are what I consider just people, but you know, I think if people see uh, uh, people able to disagree in an agreeable manner and also open themselves up for a change of opinion, I think it's a good beginning for the country. So I can't wait for us to uh, get our, our program together when your schedule uh, gets a little bit better than it is right now. So thank you so kind. Oh, well, I forgot. I always ask the last question. Please give me a closer. Give me something that you wish I'd asked you that I didn't. Um, I can't think of anything. You're always very thorough in your conversations, and uh, I'm very appreciative for that. Um, I suppose uh, uh, one thing you could ask is, when can we do this again? And uh, as soon as possible. Well, look, thank you very much, Tim. It's been my pleasure to have you on Politics Done Right. Until we meet again, my brother. Please get one of my several books out there. As I see it, Class Warfare, the only resort to right-wing doom for a contribution of $120. It's worth it. How to talk to your right-wing relatives, friends, and neighbors for a contribution of $120. How to make America utopia, take away the economy from those who rigged it for a pledge of $120. Get any two of those books for $200, any three of those books for $250. The contributions from my books go directly to support our station, KPFT 90.1 FM. Alternatively, folks, please get your basic KPFT-only membership for $40, a Pacifica-only membership for $25, or choose from one of our many other gifts for your contribution. Just go to kpft.org, choose politics,
politics done right for the program and select an option either for our books or something else to support the station. It is definitely worth it. You can listen and or watch Politics Done Right Mondays through Fridays on Facebook Live at facebook.com slash politicsdoneright or on YouTube Live at politicsdoneright.com slash YouTube. Please do not forget to follow me on Twitter for updates. My Twitter handle is at Egberto Willis, at E-G-B-E-R-T-O-W-I-L-L. I-E-S. But don't you forget, listen to us live on air at KPFT 90.1 FM on Thursdays at noon and at Fridays at 11 a.m. all central time. Please remember to keep your community radio station in your minds. Keep KPFT on your mind. Talk about it. Tell your friends about it. Tell them you know about this station in town, 90.1 FM Houston, that needs your support. That is there to provide that nourishment that we need. KPFT 90.1 FM Houston. Well, folks, that's it for today. You know how I'm going to end this baby. My name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics Done Right. And you know how I end this baby. I am what? Out! Welcome to Politics Done Right. I am your host, Egberto Willis. This is a progressive program that will take the mystery out of politics. This is the program that will encourage you to make sure government becomes we the people. Whether you are liberal, progressive, conservative, or otherwise, you get to hear your point of view. We are an independent media outlet that, unlike mainstream media beholden to corporations, we only owe allegiance to you. Remember, you can also send me a tweet at E-G-B-E-R-T-O-W-I-L-L-I-E-S. That is at Egberto Willis. Let us engage. 